This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Welcome to The District, a podcast about politics and culture from the spectator world. I'm your host, Teresa Mall, and I'm joined today by H. Sterling Burnett, PhD. He's the director of the Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy. He's also the managing editor of Environment and Climate News at the Heartland Institute. Sterling, it's great to have you back. It's good to be back on. So since last time we spoke, Sterling, there has been some legislation passed in the House, and um, it's making a lot of waves, uh, to use an appropriate term, (laughs) on the news. And that is, of course, the Inflation Reduction Act, which, contrary to its title, will likely do nothing to affect inflation. And it also, more than just simply dealing with inflation, it has a lot of climate nonsense <laughs> in, in, in contained in it. So, Sterling, why don't you walk us through what this bill will actually do to the climate, what it won't do to inflation, and just give us, give us the highlights. Well, to, to be fair, I, I do have a PhD, but I'm not an economist. But I'm a student of history, and I've read a lot, a lot of economics. I've studied economics. I've published a bit in economics. And I, I, I can't, I go back in history, I can't remember a single piece of legislation that increased government spending. The government admitted it was spending more, in this case, hundreds of billions of dollars more, that decreased inflation. Government, more government spending does not lead to lower inflation. That's not how economics works. So it's good marketing. It's a great, the Senate Democrats really came up with a great marketing ploy, but they did run it past the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, which they always say, oh, it's a gold standard. It's the gold standard. Well, the gold standard said we don't see any bud, any inflation reduction in this bill. Certainly not in the short term, probably not in the long term. The, the, they say that it's going to reduce inflation because, in fact, it's not just spending. They've got a lot of taxes. <laughs> but and we all know taxes are always good for boosting the economy. Higher taxes always leads to uh, economic growth. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> well, you sound so far like you could be an economist for the Biden administration. I mean, you've said a lot more sensible things than I've ever heard them say. So <laughs> maybe you're not just not uh, just a climate and energy expert. Maybe you should give your your uh, hand at I'm afraid uh, I'm afraid they they uh they people of my uh political beliefs and bent would not fit well into this administration and 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 they could have had a you know a, a thousand people more qualified than me tell them the same thing that I just said about the bill he was a booster he wanted this bill he wanted something bigger you got to remember as bad as this bill is and it's awful it is about a third or less of what they really wanted in Build Back Better. Build Back Better was the original bill, and Mansion and Cinema torpedoed that. They said it was too much spending, and it had other provisions that were really bad. And and, and I'm glad it didn't pass. But this is Build Back. But what they what they were saying was well, Build Back Better too. It, uh, you know, it's, it's basically a fraction, about a third, of what Build Back Better 
was. So um, there's very little in there that's going to get built better. Uh, and, you know, and that's just sort of the inflation portion of it. The funny thing is, so, I mean, you know, whether it's going to reduce inflation, I have nothing to say about any of the healthcare provisions that I haven't looked at them. Don't know enough about that to, you know, uh, comment on it in an educated fashion, but I know a lot about the energy portions of it and what they say they're going to do. And of course, this is what's getting the most play. It's supposed to be about re- inflation reduction, but it, it, that's almost a um, passing phase. They, they they mention it in all the headlines, and they mention the CBO says, "Well, probably not." You know, that's 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 way down in the story. But what they praise is the green energy portion of it. It's called a breakthrough. It's called the biggest move we've ever done to fight climate change in history. Which you know, it, 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 in some sense, it is. That's not. False advertising. It's the biggest spending bill on climate that we've done in one concerted bill. The problem is, it should we, it, what they claim will happen is it will cut emissions 40% by 2030. Now, the 40% is from 2005 levels. So they've, they've already bought some into it because we're already down, we've already reduced emissions. We went through a, a big recession. When emissions went down, we have a big switch from coal to natural gas and energy that that Biden and the administration have nothing whatsoever to do with because they don't like natural gas. They prefer it to all go wind and solar. But the fracking revolution changed a lot of things. And uh, so we're already down. So some of the emissions are already reductions. We're already locked in before this bill passed. That's not my analysis. That's, uh, um, I forget the name of the group. They looked at it, a couple of different analysis group analysis groups looked at it and said, look, a lot of these emissions reductions you're already in have nothing whatsoever to do with the bill. But to get the 40% in seven and a half years from now, a very short time period, but also the promised time period after which most of these people who pass this bill will no longer be in office and so can't be blamed or credit, you know, truthfully couldn't be credited, but also can't be blamed if it fails, and it will. To reach that goal, it's it, it the, the provisions in it, you'd have to have sort of strong regulatory provisions in it that force certain actions to be taken. You don't have that. What you have is inducements, enticements, bribes. You have the government subsidizing a lot of green energy billionaires to produce more green energy. Uh, you you have the government subsidizing a lot of different programs that, and, and this is the key, to get the 40% reduction, every program, every subsidy, every payoff available in the bill has to be used and used well, get the, get the results that uh, they promise. In other words, for the first time in history, Congress will have, have to have written a bill that is perfect, that gets everything it promised just right. No, no, no special interest pleading that undercuts it. No unintended consequences, no money not spent in the way or having the effect that uh, they say it will. And nothing designed by human minds, much less Congress, has ever been perfect. And yet it needs perfection to get that 40% reduction that everyone's touting. And, 
you could go through, and there are dozens of programs in this bill that 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 it, that spend money that, that that say we will give. They especially want to focus on uh, uh, what they call underserved communities or env- environmental justice claims. So poor neighborhoods, people in you know uh, in in poor housing developments, things like that. And so they want to give money to those areas and to retrofit their windows so they're energy efficient, to retrofit their appliances so they're energy efficient, uh, primarily electric, at a time when they're destroying the electric grid with renewable wind and solar. But none of it's free. None of it, none of it is the government pays for everything. What the government does is pick it, chip in a portion of it, if you chip in a portion of it. These people are poor. They don't have a portion to chip in. It only works if they actually say, yeah, I mean, I had I had somebody come by my home this this past year and look at my home and, and tell me what the new windows would cost if I wanted to replace my windows. And the the uh, charges ranged from a low of eight thousand dollars to uh, about thirty thousand oh dollars. Now, I had other things to spend money on in my home. And so I didn't do it. But if the government had picked up a third of the $30,000, I'm still on the hook for $20,000. Now, if you're poor, I'm not, I'm not poor. I'm not, I'm not wealthy, but I do okay. But if you earn half of what I earn or less, and the government comes to you and says, we want you to spend $18,000 on windows on your new home, and we'll pay sixteen. We'll pay six thousand of it. So you're only on the hook for twelve. I say, I, from where is this twelve coming from? Is 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 it going to fall like manna from heaven so I can pay for my my two thirds? And the the answer is, there might be some that, that are willing to do whatever sacrificing is necessary to get that energy efficiency and hope they get paid back. You know, in savings on their electric bills because that's a hope. That's just a hope and a prayer. There's no promises, but most people can't afford it and won't do it. So the money's not going to be spent and the efficiencies aren't going to be gained. And that means the emissions won't be reduced by the amount promised. The perfect example of this, the one that I focused on recently in an article, was the electric car subsidies. I, I'm sorry, I should probably stop and see if you want to get an, a word in edgewise. Oh, well, I'm just absorbing all of this craziness. It's even worse than I thought. So you could go ahead, continue. Yeah, you're the, oh. Oh, so, you're the so, expert here. I'm just <laughs> want everyone to be informed. They've got this EV subsidy, they tout it. Now, what you have to know about this is that, so they give you $7,500 a, a tax credit, goes straight back just off the top of the bill for the electric vehicle, the way it goes now. You don't have to claim the tax credit on your taxes. What happens is they give it directly to the retailer, and so it comes straight off your bill. And a four thousand dollar up to four thousand dollars for a used electric vehicle. So that's supposed to entice people to buy electric vehicles, and it has worked in the past. The problem is in the past, eighty percent of all the subsidies, the, these tax credits, have gone to the wealthiest twenty percent of households. It's it's welfare for the well to do. It's it's literally taking money from the poor and middle class and giving it to the wealthy. That's what this program has done. <laughs> I, I think it's ninety uh, percent of the EV of the uh, of the seventy five hundred dollar credits in the past 
have gone to people or households earning more than $200,000 a year. I'm sorry. That's not the poor. You mean people who are in the poverty level aren't going out and buying Teslas? Yeah. Sterling, I don't understand. I'm so shocked. It may surprise you to find that that's the case. So even the Democrats, as, as bad as they are on these things, even the Democrats recognize this. And so they said, oh, well, this time it'll be different. And why will it be different? Well, they said, first off, we're not going to let the $7,500 credit go to just any electric vehicle. It has to go to vehicles under a certain price. So you're not going to get the new electric Hummer or the high-end Teslas. With you're not going to, you can still buy them, but you won't get this credit for buying them. The other thing they did to sort of make this uh, work for the poor and middle class is they put a cap on the income levels that could claim it. Now the cap is pretty high. I think it's a household of three hundred thousand dollars. So we're still giving $7,500 to people who make $300,000. Maybe it's $200,000, but still, they don't need the tax credit. But, you know, it's something. Arnold Schwarzenegger no longer gets the credit. Neither does Leonardo DiCaprio, neither do the other millionaires who claimed it in the past. You now have to be a first-year stockbroker to claim it. Or something. <laughs> uh, Sad. <laughs> uh, you, you know, so is that... Does that mean that suddenly the poor and middle class are going to buy these electric vehicles because it's targeted to them? Boy, we're going to we're going to help them. Well, hold it. It's the same seventy five hundred dollars. If they couldn't purchase electric vehicles with a seventy five hundred dollar tax credit before. They still can't purchase it, especially since we have something uh, you may have noticed this little thing called inflation, that the whole Inflation Reduction Act is supposed to be reducing. What we know is prices are going up. Wages are not keeping up. People are spending more and being left with less. Debt is growing. And you know what's rising faster than other prices on average? The prices for electric vehicles. So now the the electric vehicles are more expensive than they were before, even the low-end ones, because we have the supply chain crisis because we depend on so many things from China to make these electric vehicles work, including the batteries. And so they're rising faster than the price of even other automobiles. All Everything's rising, but electric vehicles were rising especially fast. And now government wants to create more demand at a time when supplies are short. And the tax credit hasn't changed. So if the poor couldn't afford it before, they still can't afford it. Genius. It almost seems like the people making these laws and rules are out of touch with average working Americans, Sterling. Again, I'm shocked. I don't... You're just opening my eyes to so many things right now. Imagine it. Well, you know you know how bad it is. The auto companies say, this is, this is the auto industry itself says, gosh, thanks very much for all these uh, subsidies, but... They wanted labor to buy into this bill because they realized that you're going to be putting a lot of auto workers out of work because in the switchover to these electric vehicles, you're going to get rid of the internal combustion engine. That's the goal. That's what they want. And, you know, the, the, the internal combustion engine, even with high gas prices, are far more popular than electric vehicles because I can't afford to, to drive halfway to Colorado and run out of charge or on the highway when my battery goes uh, drains. 
So they said, well, we want labor to buy in. So how did they get labor to buy in? Well, it turns out that the steel that goes into these cars must come from North America. And the rare earths and batteries that go into them must come from North America. And they start out at a percentage. And so the automaker came back and said, well, you know what? As things stand now, 70% of the electric vehicles sold in the United States don't meet the current qualifications. So they won't get the $7,500 tax credit or the $4,000 used car tax credit. They don't qualify under your new rules. And within a few years, because the rules get stricter, not a single electric vehicle sold in the United States will qualify for this tax credit. <laughs> if no EVs are being sold, no emissions reductions are happening, and you don't reach, because remember, it has to be perfect. You don't reach the 40% goal. Now, to be fair to the uh, Democrats and to the Biden administration, they say, well, we're, we're, what we're doing is fostering incentives to create a domestic, you know, create domestic steel and domestic rare earth mining and domestic rare earth refining and critical mineral refining. And this is something I applaud, by the way. I've been arguing for this for a long time. This is where I break with some of my free market friends who who believe free trade on everything, even if it's not good for your domestic national security. It's good for it's good for consumers. Well, look, I, I want national security. So I think we should have been getting these things from America for a long time. So China doesn't cut us I'm, off. I am pro all of that. I just wrote an article about how we're losing manufacturing and even though we can get well, it's more it's less and less this way, but even if when you know when we could get cheaper, more cheaper stuff from other countries, I'm like, is it worth it? Is it worth our security? We're forgetting how to manufacture, we're losing those skills, we're losing the ability to take care of ourselves. And yeah, we have a lot more cheap Chinese junk, but our lives aren't better. Our, well, our country isn't safer. This, the, China dominates rare earth mining, much less refining. They 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 control almost hundred percent of all the refining. So even if rare earths, even if critical minerals that go into, well, the laptop that I'm sitting in front of, my cell phone, my television, our defense equipment, our jet screens in the jets, radar systems, all your green energy, your batteries and your magnets and your green energy, all of them require things called rare earths or critical minerals, almost none of which are produced here in the U.S. Uh, most of them are produced in China, but even the ones that aren't produced in China are shipped to China ref for refining. Now, the so I advocate expanding mining here and refining capacity here, opening some factories that refine raw rare earth minerals. I've done it. I've advocated for a long time. Japan is a perfect example. A few years ago, a little over a decade ago, Japan and uh, China got into a tiff over a fishing vessel that strayed into Japanese waters. Pan seized that fishing vessel. It had the most expensive spying equipment ever discovered on a fishing vessel. No fishing nets, but a lot of uh, radar, sonar, and uh, and they said this isn't a fishing vessel. This is a spy ship, and you were in Japanese territorial waters. And China said, no, no, no. This is a fishing vessel, and it was in Chinese waters. Return the vessel to us at once, immediately. And Japan said no. And China suddenly, Sony, Sanyo, Sharp, all these uh, Japanese companies that make our electronics, 
couldn't get the rare earths for any of their electronics. And within three weeks, Japan caved, sent the ship back, and half of the rare earths started coming back to them. Lesson was learned. Well, Japan could do that to, I mean, China could do that to us. So I'm, I'm, I'm completely in favor of domestic rare earth mining and refining. There's, I, I applaud that effort. And the Biden administration has talked a good game on this for months now. They've sent out people saying, we've got to do domestic refining. We've got to do domestic mining. But talking a good game and following through are two different things. And the problem is, while they're talking about increasing mining of rare earths and refining capacity in North America, all the policies they're implementing is making it less and less likely that we can get this done. It's not a matter of cost. It's not a matter of money, just throwing dollars at something. We have a huge regulatory problem here in the U.S. It is almost impossible to get a mine permitted in the U.S., a new mine permit. We haven't had a new rare earth mine permitted in this country since they've been talking about this for two decades. We had an old one that used to do something else and produced rare earths as a side product reopen. But it's been almost sued into non-existence, and that's the problem. Under Trump, Trump did some things because he was also concerned about this. And he said, first off, we're going to set a time limit. Federal agencies have a set time, amount of time, to review and approve permits or deny them. It, it can't go on forever. They get the reports and you have this many days to approve or not approve it. They also said, and we're not going, we're only going to count when we're doing your environmental impact statements, which is the big thing with these under the National Environmental Policy Act. You only have to look at the direct environmental impact, not long term downstream climate impacts, for instance. So you have to look at what kind of damage your mining itself will do, but you don't have to look at the kind of greenhouse gases that will be emitted when people use your stuff. Five years from now. Seems sensible to me. Good reform. Certain to help uh, get mines built and factories built and highways built. Because it wasn't just for that. It's for all infrastructure, major infrastructure projects. One of the first things Biden did when he came into office was rescind that, uh, rescind those changes he made. Goes back to the old system. And now he's imposing new rules, which make it harder to start a new mine and make it almost impossible to get a new factory. And we need the mines and factories today to meet the conditions that they've set in this bill for these EVs, not 10 years from now. It seems to me, if you could sum up the progressive attitude and all of these democratic policies toward climate change and quote unquote green energy, I, don't, I just think of it as like, this wishful thinking wish list of like somebody who's a hundred pounds overweight and is like, Oh, don't worry. In 10 years, I will be thin and healthy. But in the meantime, they are eating nothing but McDonald's every long, every day and not exercising and not doing all the things that they need to do to get there. And they're just like, Oh no, it'll be fine because we're not, we're not ready to be, emission free or whatever in 10 years or so, you know, we're not even close. We're not even on the path to that. We're just like, oh, we'll throw money at it. We'll incentivize people. But it's not that easy. 
No, it's it's it, physics of it say it's impossible, and to keep to keep our current standard of living, to reach the emissions that they say we need to reach, we need to go to to eighteen twenties levels emissions. We had a, we we had a few hundred million people fewer in this country with no electronics. You know, if you like horse strong buddy, buggies, though. Uh, that would be hard too, because remember they're cracking down on farmers' methane emissions. So uh, you got a problem there. Uh, it, this is this is truly it, it's it's sort of like it's sort of like what you said, except it's they uh, you've got these rich people who say, "Don't worry, in ten years we'll be at net zero. We'll we'll lose all that weight, but we're gonna but we're gonna put you on a forced diet now because you need to lose it now." So they want to keep driving their 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 private jets, but they don't want you to take commercial. If if a if an electric rail line doesn't run from where you live to where you want to go, they don't want you traveling. And also the promises of the whole electric movement, the batteries themselves, I mean the way that they mine them now in China, South America, all those other places, terrible for the earth. They're toxic. You can't recycle them. By the time you reach whatever sort of promise is made in putting up solar panels and windmills and all these things. By the time you realize any sort of benefit from that, it's time like the the battery is dead and you have to replace it. And so you haven't made any money back. And then you have to find some way to get rid of it, which is pretty much impossible. So it seems like a lot of work, a lot of money, a lot of effort. It's not better for the earth. It might even it might even be worse. Yeah, a lot of wasted effort, a lot of wasted money and resources for less effective uh, products, for less reliable electricity, more expensive but less reliable. That that's that sounds like a, a plan for success. Less ex- more expensive, less reliable. That's what we're selling you today. Who would and, buy that and if toxic, they presented it? Like, if they presented yeah. it and toxic, yeah. So and the mining for these industrial things, but- wastelands, yeah. And the way they treat the people who mine them, right? It's just terrible working the, conditions. And- they're creating industrial wastelands in developing countries using slave and child labor in Myanmar. But it's not in our backyard, Sterling, Congo. so who cares? We can't yeah, see yeah, it. Well, it's the, not our problem. The, well, you know who's supposed to care? The Democrats who always say they're the party of the poor and who say they care about the world and say they're not greedy capitalists. They're the ones that are supposed to care, and they're the ones that seem to care the least. Because they're the ones that are demanding more slave labor and more child labor and more industrial wastelands in developing countries for these for these technologies. And talking about, you know, you brought up a really, really good point. So let's talk about just for a second, the disposal of these materials. So we've we've got a problem now, not not with how much one of the big things in this in this in so-called Inflation Reduction Act, they subsidize more wind and solar. They want more turbines across the country. They want more wild lands destroyed with turbines and, and solar panels covering uh, ha- wildlife habitat. They, they want more of that. But they don't talk about how we dispose of this stuff. First off, it doesn't last as long as it's promised. Breaks down. Storms come through and throw uh, bits of uh, hail and ice through uh, these solar panels that have to then be replaced. Where do they go? Well, they go to the municipal dump. I don't know many people who say municipal dumps aren't, you know, we have two 
too too many municipal dumps. We want we want uh, we want more of them. I don't know many people who are arguing for for more municipal dumps in their backyard. But then the problem is even municipal dumps, not all of them are qualified to take the waste from wind and solar. So you think about this: a turbine just just last week, I think in Kansas, but maybe in Oklahoma. I know it's Oklahoma. Winds got so high, the turbine broke and literally bent over. So this this four hundred foot turbine just cracked in half. So that, it's got to be replaced, folks. Think about that. What does it take to dispose of a single wind turbine, much less the thousands and tens of thousands they want to put across the country? Well, they're 400 foot tall. You can't just take them to your local dump. The 200 foot uh, or 120 foot blades, they are not easily recyclable because they're made of composite materials. They're not steel. It's not like you could take it someplace and melt it into slag and reuse it. No. It's got to be lightweight or, or, or it's really, really expensive and it falls over even more. It's got to be flexible in the face of wind. So they've got these composite materials that you can't tease all the little bitty bits that are recyclable out of. Also transporting these things. Uh, we have some wind turbines around here and if they have to go over some mountains and stuff. They have to shut down the road. These things are humongous. They have a car in front of them, a car behind them warning you like, you know, wide load, long load. It's like, it's a whole spectacle just for one, one of these. And no, no, you no. Know, there's several blades just, on it. Yes. Yeah, I say just for a single blade, much less the parts, the number of trucks it takes to put together the parts that make up the tower that the blades are attached to. So yeah, multiply it, that times thousands. The yeah. gas used a lot of to diesel fuel, fuel is being burnt. <laughs> a lot yeah. of a lot of a lot of diesel fuel is being burnt to uh, to build these. Uh, so a lot of missions to erect these towers. The concrete you got to. It's not like you put these on a concrete, but no, you've got to sink the concrete 30, 50 feet into the earth. A big square blob of concrete, so they can hold up to the wind when it's blowing right. And um, concrete puts out a lot of emissions. It's the second or third largest source of emissions in the world is concrete production because you're breaking up limestone that releases emissions. So, but the problem, you know, to just stick to one little aspect of it. I mean, we can talk about all the different things, but just the disposal, there's only a few municipal facilities that accept wind turbines because they, A, they take up so much space, what you have to do to get them in there. I mean, they literally have to do is lay them on the ground, roll over them back and forth with uh, more diesel emissions, by the way, roll over them back or forth with uh, big um, Caterpillar tractors, you know, big D8 or D, I think they're on D16s now, Caterpillar tractors to crush them so they can be then cut into smaller pieces and then shipped in. Well, that's a lot of work. And so a lot of the municipal waste facilities that are allowed to accept them not all are, but those that are licensed to accept them are saying no. The same thing with the with the solar panels. How do you how do you get rid of those? Those are toxic. Like think about getting rid of your car battery or even little batteries for your I don't know for for smaller items. You have to take care of those specially. You can't just throw those in the garbage and multiply that times something <laughs> that big times that many. It's a disaster. And Sterling, do we give the green people the 
Democrats who are pushing all these policies the benefit of the doubt? Do they are they ignorant of these things? Have they not thought this far ahead, or do they know about it and they just don't care? Are they like, I'm not listening, I'm not listening, I don't want to think about this. I want the world to be green. Of course, we all want the world to to be beautiful and clean and lovely and not have emissions, but they just want to look good. They're not. I don't know. I I like to think like, oh, maybe they just haven't sat down and thought about this and done the math. But that in itself is is neglectful. That's willful ignorance. And that's also an evil, you know, kind of a a sin of omission. What what are we to make of all of this? This is clearly there's a lot wrong with the the green energy. I think you can't paint them all with the same brush. I think some of them um, truly believe in their heart of hearts that things just work out like manna from heaven. If, if, if they, if they, if they pass a law by God, it'll get done. Look, you know, I keep waiting. I, I, I always hear this, you know, because this is how they've sold green energy for two decades now. Well, if we pass a law, American innovation will just produce it. They have a lot of faith in America. Yeah. I'll give them that. Well, true uh, patriots. <laughs> yeah, true patriots. But, you know, I, I wonder why they don't apply the same logic to other things that have been pressing for years. You know, it's like, pass a law banning cancer. Doctors, you must, by date certain, by 2030, you must have solved cancer or we're going to start finding you. Well, well that's set, what they try set, to do with gun laws, the, too. Set loose the innovation. Uh, let's get all the research. Because uh, they passed a law. No, that's not how it works. Just because you pass a law doesn't make it so. But I think some of them believe, I think some of them really believe that's the way it works. If we pass a law, it will happen. Yeah, look, every time there's a mass shooting, they're like, oh, we'll just pass a bunch of laws. I'm like, "Uh, guys, murder, mass shootings are already illegal, but they keep happening. Like passing more and more laws is not going to solve the problem. So, I mean, but I think some of them really believe that. They others, I I think that some people are so fearful of climate change that they think anything is better. Slave labor is okay. That, that we we like China. I mean, they 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 out there to say things. China can get things done. If we only if only we were more like China, because they think that when the dictatorship comes here, they'll be the dictators and they know best. So. But then others, I think, are just, it's graft. Look, I'm not going to be around in 20 years when this hits the fan. Or I am, but I'll be retired on all the money I get from my people who donate to my campaign and then hire me after I leave office for huge salaries. Uh, You know, look at, I like, to some extent, I like Kristen Cinema, But look what she did with this bill. Uh, she was the last holdout. Everyone thinks Mansion, Mansion, Mansion. No, Cinema could have scuttled it too because she wasn't in favor of Build Back Better. There was one small provision on taxing billionaires a certain way. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but I've heard about it. I read about it. But one small tax, I think it accounted for, you know, uh, $80 billion or so. The way you earn income but it only applied to the wealthiest of the wealthiest people in the world. And uh, she said, I won't pass. I won't vote for this bill if you don't take that out. They took it out. She voted for the bill. She was the largest recipient of donations from that group of people in the last congressional cycle. Now, I guess it could be coincidence. I, I guess it could be sheer coincidence. But my suspicion is it wasn't. 
And so I think there's a variety of reasons that people vote for these bills. I think they just don't understand physics. Uh, you know, it's it, uh, they, they look at it. I think some people look at it as a, as a purely as an engineering problem. We wanted to go to the moon, right? And, and John F. Kennedy said, set the goal to go to the moon by the end of the decade. That was an engineering problem. But replacing more than 80% of the primary energy of the world today in seven and a half years with technology uh, not accounting for any economic growth or any population growth, removing emissions from the air so we reach net zero, that's not just an engineering problem. Physics limits, in fact, some Physics limits the amount of power that turbines can produce and that wind solar panels, the efficiencies they can reach. Physics limits how batteries work. You can't engineer around physics. And I don't think they understand that. I think what they're looking for is a miracle. <laughs> I think they want <laughs> like God of the Old Testament to swoop the, down and like change the sea and you know the people I don't know. the people yeah the people least likely to pray to the God of the Old Testament and uh, for miracles are the ones that need the miracles the most. Oh, pray to Mother Nature, maybe I don't know. <laughs> mm. So Sterling, what is going to happen with the Inflation Reduction Act? How is it going to change America? Well, I don't like to put on my uh, Swami hat and get in front of the crystal ball. I don't see it doing a lot of good, but I think its impact could be limited. And I'll tell you why we have an election in a few months and I'd be stunned if some of the provisions in the bill, because they won't have enough time to have built up much of a constituency. Don't get scrapped. Now, of course you still got the president's got to sign the bill, but what they can do if if Republicans, and, and they may not, and if they don't act like rhinos, if Republicans take the House and take the Senate, big if on, in both, and they stand together, they can probably get some of the provisions changed in budget bills that must, must pass bills that, that uh, Biden won't want to veto. But the real change would have to come in, 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 in two years when the next election. And who knows whether I don't know if he's going to run. Who knows if he runs and if he does run, if he wins or if whoever the Democrats put in his place wins. If they keep Congress and they keep the White House in the next election, then it's going to cost it's going to cost us a lot. We're going to see what one thing we'll see is we'll see fewer cars on uh, showroom floors because they want electric vehicles. People don't want to buy electric vehicles. They can't afford to buy electric vehicles. The charging stations don't exist. Well, they're going to spend a lot of money to build charging stations, but I'm sorry. I don't, I, I don't go anywhere and fill up, and it takes me 30 minutes to get a 20 to 80% fill up. So I just don't know what the long-term impact will be because I don't know how long all the provision will be in effect. What you can be sure of is that we'll, there will be money spent that will be wasted. A lot of it will be spent just on bureaucracies. You know, you look at the way the bill is structured, all this stuff where they want to spend money retrofitting homes in poor neighborhoods and new appliances. Well, they have to go through city governments and community activist groups. 
well, they're not going to drain off any of that money. None of that money is going to go to them. It'll all go straight to the to the homeowner and the worker that's that's putting in the windows. No, of course it won't. Every level of government and, and agency that you put in between the final end product and the where the money is uh, comes out of, which is the treasury, uh, is going to take their cut. So it's it, it, no matter what happens, even even in the most optimistic scenario, not as much will get done as they hoped because some of it will be drained off and um, resources will be wasted that could have been spent uh, on other things. School safety. Look, they, they hired 87,000 IRS agents are going to be hired. Bigger than, you know, it's going to make the IRS bigger than the Defense Department or any other agency. But they say they're not coming after the little guy. All I know is I've been uh, contacted by the IRS three of the last five years. The last time, over $9. Oh, $9. And it was $9 I didn't know. And uh, because I'm an idiot, I I actually wrote them back and said, no, I, I don't owe this money. And here's why. They, they, they said I owed them money because I, my tax return uh, was mailed late. And so I was fined. And then there, there was interest accruing on the fine. And I mailed them because I always do this. I mailed them the uh, postmark thing from the post office when I delivered it. It was not only delivered not the midnight of the day it was due, it was delivered the day before it was due. So I was well within, but for some reason they didn't get it. And, you know, I could see when they received it, they didn't get it for like three weeks, but not my problem. I had the postmark. And so I sent them a copy of that. And they said, oh, yes, we see. So we can waive the interest, but you still owe the fine. (laughs) For, for the thing that you didn't actually do that we accused you of doing. Now, oh my gosh. we went back and forth. And at this point, I thought to myself, you know what? You're setting yourself up for a bigger audit, audit if you keep going back and forth with these guys. Pay the bill. And so I paid the fine that I didn't owe. And I don't earn. I'm not in the high income tax bracket that they're supposed to be. Oh, no, we're not targeting the little guy. We're targeting the high income. T- it's going to be the billionaires. There, you'd have to have twenty. You'd have to have a thousand agents for every billionaire dedicated just to him. If it was just going to be the billionaires, if it's just going to be the multimillionaires, you'd have to have five hundred agents dedicated just to them. No, they're going to audit people like you and me. They're going to go through our taxes, and they're going to make mistakes. And you're going to pay for those mistakes because I paid because I didn't want to get into a worse shouting match with the IRS than I was already in having them had 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 having them looked at my taxes three of the last five years. Twice I let HR block deal with it. This time I dealt with myself. But the point is, I'm not in one of those high income tax brackets. My household's not two hundred thousand dollars. But they keep coming after me. And if you think 80, 87,000 new agents aren't going to be coming after average folks, then you're just fooling yourself. They just lie when they say that. And, you know, what really ticked me off is it wasn't that much money. I ended up paying what? I, I think I paid $5 or $2. 
we spent more on postage going back and forth than I ended up paying them. But I'm not the only guy they did this to. And if they do this to 100,000 people or 200,000 people, well, they're making money. Also, it's just such a waste of time. You think about the people in the office who receive the mail, sign for it, bring it back, go through, take the time to write to you, multiply that times, you know, hundreds of thousands of people across the U.S. It's like, what? Well, could you have done something better with that time? It's make work. Yeah, maybe you could have kept the checks to the people who aren't receiving their checks on time. Maybe you could have kept those checks on time because they could have been devoted to doing that. But it's okay because now we'll have 87,000 new agents to – to get the checks cut on time to and do to that not busy be doing, work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Sterling, this has been a pleasure. I could talk to you all day and we will do this again soon. Pleasure speaking with you. Have me back anytime. Thank you for listening to this episode of The District. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Spectator World is a U.S. edition of the world's oldest magazine, To read more content on similar topics, visit spectatorworld.com.